If you would open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This really is one of those verses that you really can't meditate on for a lifetime. What this verse is calling us to is that it is calling us to recognize the reality of heaven. This is not a make-believe thing. Heaven is more real than the most real moment in this life. And this is what this text is showing us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you remove the veil of our hearts? you remove the scales from our physical eyes or spiritual eyes that we might see that you might take out our hearts of stone, dead hearts and give us beating hearts of flesh help us by faith to see the place where Christ dwells place that is real reality. We ask all this in his name. Amen. How could the worst moment of your life actually also be one of the most joyous moments of your life? John Patton who was a missionary to the cannibals in the New Hebrides. He reflects on his time when, as a missionary to these people, that they were trying to kill him. This was already a moment in his life where, as he had been a missionary, his wife had already died and so had had his child. He was there alone. And now the very people he was trying to minister to, to tell them about Christ and eternal life, now they're responding to him saying they wanted to kill him and eat him. He reflects on this moment. And he says, when that was happening, I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there, they live all before me as if they were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Imagine that moment. Imagine that moment when it feels like 
seconds away, you'll be shot or pulled down from the tree and flayed and killed and eaten. All the while, your home is literally the complete opposite of the globe in Scotland. So how does Paul say that these are light and momentary afflictions? Let's be honest. How, what, what, what audacity does he have to tell us that the afflictions that we go through are somehow light? Momentary? I mean, is God just telling us to just rub some dirt on it and you'll be fine? Is he just that insensitive? Paul, he was shipwrecked one time. He was stoned uh, basically to death one time and by a supernatural work he somehow lived. Then he was shipwrecked again. He faced very intense spiritual warfare in his life. He was beaten numerous times. He was jailed and by the way he was shipwrecked another time. So really, Paul, these are light? He's just some super Christian, right? That's what it is. If we can just get that to that level, then we can, it's just, you know, super Christian. It's not what Paul's saying. Some of you are facing affliction to such a level where this verse is very, in a lot of ways it can be very offensive to be told that your affliction, as real as it is, is only light and momentary. Maybe you're the spouse of someone who has gone through or is going through an addiction. Maybe you're the person who is going through an addiction. Maybe you're the child of divorced parents. Maybe you're the victim of abuse. Maybe you've also faced a life of extreme spiritual and mental torment. Maybe you've been chronically ill for so long that there seems to be no light ahead. Maybe you've been to jail and still experienced some of the consequences. Or maybe you've faced extreme financial loss or health loss or whatever it might be. Can those things really be light? You know, this is, we want this to be a church where we can actually say what we really mean and stop trying to treat Christianity like it's basically the prosperity gospel where if you become a Christian everything's just nice and dandy let's be honest how can these things possibly be light and momentary John Patton reflecting on that moment goes on yet as I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus never In all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me. Speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I spoke all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, 
to enjoy his consoling fellowship. And then he speaks to his readers. If you are thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, maybe in the midnight, maybe in the bush, maybe in the very embrace of death itself, do you have a friend that will not fail you then? That's the question. What's so strange is that God could use such a horrible, truly horrible moment for John Patton when he was alone and transform it into a moment that prepared him for more glory that could not be even imaginable. And what if, what if God is actually so great that he can transform your worst suffering, my worst suffering, into something that prepares us for unspeakable glory? What if? question is, do you know this glory? Have you embraced this glory? Are you looking forward to this glory? Because dear believer, and all those who believe in Jesus Christ, from the youngest of you to the oldest of you, you will have this glory. Amen? You will. When you believe in Christ, solely faith, faith alone, not any of your works, when you believe in Christ, no matter what sin and suffering is in your life, you will experience an eternal weight, glory. Glory that is so beautiful and majestic that not even any language combined on this earth could summarize an ounce of what it is. But it is more real than whatever moment you're in right now. Look back at our text. Paul says for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. When you believe in Christ, you will experience Glory. What do we mean by glory? Glory is this. Glory is splendor. Glory is honor. Glory is beauty. Glory is holiness made visible. Glory is something that brings pleasure, satisfaction, and delight to all those who can see it for what it is. Glory is something of such value and quality and desirability that it surpasses all other things. Glory is everything that sin is not. And God is glory himself. God is Infinite in beauty. He is deserving of all honor. He is matchless in holiness. And he is most desirable for all people everywhere. Glory is that which describes God as being utterly deserving of delightful worship. It's as if Paul is saying this. If you realize 
how glorious it is to be with Christ in heaven than even your worst suffering here, though it truly be awful. Your worst suffering here cannot come close to being compared with the glory that awaits you because you'll be with Him. Amen? Him. But what do we mean by heaven? Heaven is the ultimate site of glory. It is the glorious place. It is the perfection of dwelling with God in His holiness. Heaven is not little Cupid babies shooting heart-shaped arrows. Heaven is not just endless boredom of singing the same song over and over again to the harps that really aren't being played very well. What is heaven? What's it like? Heaven is an everlasting rest. It is the place where there are no more what-ifs. It is where there are lasting relationships, the greenest grass, unparalleled contentment, utter freedom from all sin or sinful nature, or even the possibility of being tempted to sin. Heaven is the perfection of our physical bodies to function exactly the way they were made. Heaven is the perfection of the soul that no longer has anything hindering it from experiencing the love of God. Heaven is the bliss of pure freedom. Heaven is a world of absolute love and loveliness. Heaven is where... It is the total eradication of having any regrets or shame. Heaven is the place where there is unspeakable joy of having full assurance that you have God and God has you. Heaven is the place of such adventure where you no longer have to read about it, but now you participate in it. Heaven is the place where we are incapable of being numbed to the reality of such endless happiness. Heaven is the place where forgiveness is so experienced, it's so real, that you will think it was as if you never sinned. Heaven is the place where there's no more suffering, but only infinite enjoyment of God's blessings. Heaven is the immediate and direct sight of the infinite glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In heaven, food will never taste as good as it could on earth. Drink will be far more satisfying than we can ever imagine. Our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our nose are not only just going to be normal, but they will be increased in their capability. In heaven, there will be undying comfort. There will be unsurpassed happiness that never fades. There will be No fatigue in praising God and gazing upon His glory. There will no longer be any disconnect between faith and sight. Our consciences will no longer accuse us of any sin, but will only repeat to us over and over and over that you, yes, you are dearly beloved. holy because you are in the arms of Christ. 
children of believers who had died in pregnancy will be there waiting for us. Parents who went before us who are believers will be reunited. There with that multitude of people across the ages and across the geographic locations, we will fully know them and be fully known by them and ultimately by God himself. And what makes heaven heaven above all things is that Christ fills all in all. And the delight that you will have in him will never die away. It will never diminish. It will never be dull. Amen? We were made for beholding God. Genesis 1.27 says that when God made man, he made them male and female. He made them in his image. In other words, we were made in his image to image him. In other words, this. You cannot image someone who you do not behold. All of us were made to behold him. I love what... One theologian, Hans Borsma, says, he says, We are true to the way God has made us when we make the vision of God our ultimate desire. Once we have arrived at that beatific vision, we will truly be ourselves. This is what Jesus says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent what makes heaven heaven is finally seeing God and knowing him and him knowing us to the fullest experience. That's why C.S. Lewis says, to enter heaven is to become more human than you ever succeeded in being on earth. Jesus prays in John 17, 24, Father, I desire, and that word for desire is a deep longing. It's also used for an authoritative will. Father, I desire that they, talking about his people, they whom you have given me, I desire that they be with me where I am to see my glory. Jesus longs for you, dear, dear believer. And for those of you who will be believers, he longs for you to behold his infinite glory. Christ is the glory of God. In Hebrews 1 verse 3 it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. You see, what makes heaven heavenly is because Christ is there. Amen? When you, when you get Christ, you get heaven. And when you get heaven, you get Christ. Because it's wrapped up in Him. There is no such thing as heaven without Christ. And that is what will make it so beautiful. We see it by faith now, but by sight later. And it is in heaven that it will be a world of Christ. Listen, no longer will there be any frustration with trying to to trace the, the goodness of creation back to the creator. It will be so evident there. 
Christ will be the light by which we see and understand and experience everything in that real, physical, tangible, spiritual world. Christ will not be part of the enjoyment of heaven. He will be the enjoyment of heaven even as we experience every other thing. Everything in heaven will make our hearts want to turn again and again and again just to look upon his face and see his smile. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? But the question really becomes, how how can we who are sinners, how, how can we experience that? Because sin has so marred us, it's so depraved us, it's limited how we can experience and know God. God has an answer for that. This is what's called glorification. It's the perfection of who we are. Because on that last day, whether on the judgment day where Christ wraps up everything of all of history, or whenever we die, we will be perfected and glorified. Glorification is when it is utterly done away with all sin, with all remnants, anything of the sinful nature. You won't even be capable of being tempted to sin again. Amen? There will be just this phenomenal increase in your capacity to experience God. Your ability to glorify and enjoy God. There's not only going to be the the massive intensification of our five senses, but certainly, as we could call it, maybe the spiritual senses of our soul knowing the reality of God and His glory. How will that happen? Because finally, as 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, this is our assurance of pardon earlier, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know this. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him in perfection, in His glory. How is that? Because we will see. You'll see him. And he, in all of his glory, will be so beautiful and majestic and holy that it can't not transform you. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.30. He says, And for those whom God predestined, all those he also called. All those whom he called, he also justified. And all those whom he justified, he also glorified. It means this. No matter who you are or what you have done or what you might do, if you are a believer, nothing is going to separate you from being glorified. Amen? It is a guarantee. This is why Paul says, this glory, it surpasses all suffering. It's not at all saying that the suffering in and of itself is not painful. It is. Paul is arguing by comparison. Because he says if if you realize 
ounce of what it's going to be like. You would have so much hope to keep looking to the unseen things because you know that it is going to be the most weighty of places to come. Hallelujah. There is such glory in heaven that it does not matter how heinous your sin might be. It does not matter how long you go without believing in Christ. And maybe you're like the thief on the cross and you believe at the last second because Christ is absolutely so glorious. The moment you believe in him, you will enter into that union with him where finally one day you will see how glorious he is. Your sin is measurable. His glory is infinite. It does not matter how sinful we could be. God knows it all and he has taken care of it all. And I think there are things that we can learn. Because here Paul says because of that fact, you see in verse 18, he says because of that we look to these unseen things. They might be unseen now but we will see them soon. And don't forget that it's soon, no matter if you live 80 more years. It is soon. It's as we look to those things, brothers and sisters, not as we just ignore them. I think we can learn a lot from those who are in addiction recovery. Certainly the people who I've talked to over the years, because it seems that those Christians who are going through that Christian ministry of addiction recovery, it seems that they are learning the benefits of frequently gathering, not sporadically, of singing, of teaching, of discipleship. I do think it's very interesting. What if ministries like that have more of a reflection of what the Christian life and what the church is meant to be rather than a lot of what Christians and churches act like today? Because what if it takes you being absolutely broken to make you have a sight of what's to come? And when you do, maybe people will think you're crazy or you're taking this whole Christian thing too seriously. But what if you are becoming more truly human? As Jewel the Unicorn in C.S. Lewis's the last battle, as Jules says when he enters into real Narnia, which is the depiction of heaven for Lewis, he says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life, though I didn't know it until now. Dear believer, this glory is yours. Amen? And this glory is for all those who simply, with nothing else, simply believe in Jesus Christ. No asterisks to that, no anything, no, no conditions, no nothing. It is faith. And God provides the very faith for you to believe. So it is absolutely free. Just believe. Glory. Amen? But Paul says and it's, an, it's an eternal glory. He says it is 
an eternal weight of glory. What do we mean by eternal? Well, it's easy for us, or at least easier for us to understand that eternal means without duration. It means uh, that there's no end in sight. And that is what it is, but it also in Scripture means a quality to it. When Paul says it's an eternal weight of glory, he's not saying it's a minimal amount of glory that just lasts a really long time. He is saying that it is far more worthy and honorable and joyful and happy than literally it is too much for you to handle in your bodies and souls right now. You have to be glorified to handle it. It's eternal. It is what is most real. This eternal glory that we have in Christ, it's there because God himself is eternal. So you have to think about this. If Jesus is God and man in inseparable union, then when you come in union with Jesus Christ, you come in union with the God-man who is eternal. Which means this. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll never die. And even the death that you have here is just the doorway into glory to come. It'll never end. It'll never fade away because God never fades away. God never diminishes. God never grows boring. Heaven will be so glorious because God is so glorious that you'll, as you see him, you'll never get to the point where you'll say, I'm used to it by now. You'll never get there. That's why it says in Revelation 22, verse 5, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Amen? Why is this? Why do we get this glory? Because brothers and sisters on the cross, when Jesus went to be a substitute for all his believers for all of time, he experienced hell. He received the wrath of God that we deserve for all eternity because of our heinous sin against him. And my friends, there is no possible way that Christ could have suffered so much and for us to not somehow get such incredible glory. Amen? The fullness of God's wrath for our sins was dumped upon him. So that the freeness and fullness of heaven might be given to us. You need not fear at all of anything of God's wrath because Christ has absorbed it for you. And he will give you his glory. What makes this amazing is this, is that because... This glory is eternal. It means that our suffering is only momentary. At some point, it will end. I know at times it does not feel like that.
Some, some of you are experiencing really difficult suffering that has been going on for a long time. And that is only going to be momentary. But some of you are, have also been experiencing something that maybe in one moment it's not the most painful thing, but because it's lingered for so long, it's awful. But my friends, you need to hear this. Paul is telling you, God is telling you, it will end. At some point it will be over and heaven will be so great and so amazing that it will be as if you never suffered. It's not saying the suffering wasn't real. It's saying how heaven is even more real. That's why I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he preached on this text, (laughs) Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a minister in London in the 20th century, he was a preacher in London when the bombs of the Germans were dropping down on the buildings. When he preached on this text, he called this text the acid test of our faith. And he said this, the acid test of your faith is whenever the bombs are dropping down on you and you think in that moment, what is most real? What is my hope, not only in life, but also in death? We could also say it the other way around. The acid test is also this. What do you think about when life is actually going well and you feel no need to be dependent? Do you realize that heaven is right there? That Christ is right through the veil? Is that weighty for you? The fact that one day you will finally be with him for eternity. And does it make you homesick? I hope it does. We need a little heavenly homesickness. But Paul also says this glory is weighty. What's interesting here is Paul is most likely thinking about the Hebrew word that actually combines the two ideas of weight and glory. He is saying that the glory of Christ in heaven is so weighty. In other words, it's the ultimate reality. It's so weighty that it makes everything else in this life feel like a mere tumbleweed. You see, you want to know one of the reasons why you're often seeking these thrills in life? some sort of sensual pleasure or or business accomplishment or whatever it might be, do you want to know what your heart is actually telling you in those moments? That you long for real, weighty glory. The problem is, it's not that, as C.S. Lewis says, it's not that your desires are too strong, it's that they're too weak. And that you're not running to the essence of what you long for, and that's Christ. That's the weight. Heaven is the place where we will feel like we have never lived before until that moment. Heaven is the place where we see the glory of Christ and we will say, if anything is real, it's this moment because it's Him. When you see the glory of Christ, that that very first moment you enter through that veil into death, you will see the glory of Christ And it will be everything to you. 
You'll never have felt more alive. Nothing will ever be more beautiful and lovely and desirable and attractive and worshipful, honorable, whatever it might be, than Christ in his glory. But there's also the weightiness that we will feel of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Amen? That we've really been cleansed. That Christ's righteousness is really ours. Listen, can you imagine the weightiness of whenever all anxiety and depression goes away and all you feel is peace? Or how about the feeling of ultimate freedom? Or being so secure that as Revelation 21-25 says, that heaven's gates always remain open because... Let me just put it in my southern language. Christ ain't scared of nothing. He's already defeated it. The feeling of absolute, infinite, unconditional love will be felt there. Nothing will be more weighty than that. The joy and the rest and the utter beauty. I think beauty is a key theme in Christianity that we need to recover. Beauty is what we will be mesmerized by because we will see the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen? Is this not, is this not amazing? That all, our affliction, as, as hard as it might be, it is light in comparison with the weight of that. Listen, I'm fine if people think that I'm crazy right now. I'm fine if we go out into the world and people think we're crazy for what we believe. Because there is nothing more real than this. This life is not nearly as real as what's to come. Christ is there and brothers and sisters, we're in union with him. We're already partly in heaven and we'll be there fully. Don't you want that? long for the times when we're finally finally out of the reach of Satan and sin and death can you imagine that moment you'll almost as it were be able just to and maybe, maybe literally just lay down and close your eyes for a moment when you're in glory to realize that you'll no longer be tormented in your conscience for what you've done. Can you imagine that? And all you will know is that the one who loves your soul more than anything else is right there with you. During Martin Lloyd-Jones' last few hours of his life in 1981, he had lost his ability to speak and he was really weak. His daughter Elizabeth was beside him and Lloyd-Jones, all he could do in his weakness is he could just point her to the very words of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 
And in Elizabeth's words, here's what she says. She says, when I asked him, as he pointed to that verse, she said, is that what you're experiencing now? Even in his weakness, he nodded his head with great vigor. Finally, on Thursday evening, February 26th, he had enough strength to scribble the words on a sheet of paper for his wife and his children, and they said this, don't pray for healing. Don't hold me back from glory. Brothers and sisters, all you have to do is believe in Christ. And the glory is yours. Because he will be yours. Let's pray. Our Father, we are asking that you bring revival to our souls heavenliness to our minds, endurance to our walk, anticipation of what's to come. Oh, Lord Jesus, may you be all in all in our lives. We ask all this in your name. Amen.